Hello and welcome to Maths on the Move, the podcast from plus.maths.org. I'm Marianne Freiberger. And I'm Rachel Thomas. We're here in our home of PLUS, the Centre for Mathematical Sciences in Cambridge, and we're continuing our series of podcasts about bringing maths to the stage and screen. And as we're in the CMS, we're revisiting our interview from back in 2012, when we were lucky enough to host a film screening of a film called The Travelling Salesman. Uh, Marianne, The Travelling Salesman is a movie about a mathematical problem named the traveling salesman problem can you tell us quickly what that is yes so um imagine on a normal day i've got various things to do i need to go to the supermarket i need to pick the kids up from school i need to go to the pharmacy and the library so the question is um to find the route that visits each of these places exactly once because there's no need to go twice and to find the route that does that is the shortest distance and it's the problem is called the traveling salesman problem because you can think of it in terms of a traveling salesperson um, having to visit a number of cities and they want to do it in the most efficient way. So I can see how you or I could figure out the best route for you for Monday to solve, um, give you the quickest route round the supermarket and the library and picking up the kids and the pharmacy. Because if I wanted to, I could just figure out each possible route through those four spots and then judge which one was the quickest or the shortest but actually as you add more and more stops in if you're a traveling salesman who has to visit five cities or ten cities or a hundred cities i can see how figuring out the quickest route would get hard really quickly yeah exactly because then the number of routes you'd have to check to find the shortest absolutely explodes sort of very fast um, as the number of places you want to visit grows and actually we recently interviewed a mathematician, didn't we, who was um, figuring out shipping routes and exactly that problem occurred. The more ports they had to go to, then it just became impossible, really difficult to find the shortest route. So that's why the traveling salesman is such a difficult, um, considered such a difficult problem because nobody knows of an algorithm that efficiently finds you the shortest route um, as, you know, once the number of places you want to visit has, has gotten large. And when we say no one knows of an efficient algorithm what we mean is you measure efficiency of an algorithm or a recipe for telling you how many um how to find the best route how to solve this problem you measure how efficient it is in terms of how long it will take or the number of steps it will take and there's a sort of understanding that a relatively quick algorithm a, a sort of feasible algorithm would have the number of steps being roughly proportional to the size of the problem you're looking at. So it's called polynomial time and it means that if you're looking for n cities, a route through n cities, it should take you roughly n steps or or of the order of n squared steps or n cubed steps and that's considered relatively tame in terms of the amount of time it takes to solve the problem. And the class of problems that take this sort of, are thought to take polynomial time is called P, the class P. Yes, exactly. All the problems that are in the P class are considered easy. And I mean, that is a bit weird because that includes uh, problems where the number of steps an algorithm takes might be proportional to like the, the size of the problem to the power of a thousand, which <laughs> is to a thousand, which is seems huge, huge, which seems huge, but it's still, um, but still it's not the same as exponential growth. Mm. So 
even though the time it takes the algorithm might grow very fast in that case with the with the problem the size of the problem growing it's still not exponential growth and that's why it's considered efficient so that's the p class mm -hmm. and then there's this other class called well it's known as np and what that is non-deterministic polynomial which is a bit of a mouthful but what does that mean loosely speaking okay so that's a class of problems where we may not know an efficient algorithm in the p class to actually solve the problem but we're given a solution we can check the whether the solution is correct in polynomial time so there's a version of the traveling salesman problem that we can use as an example here um, if instead of asking for the shortest route um, visiting all cities exactly once you ask whether there is a route that visits all cities exactly once that is shorter than some distance d, then obviously if you give me a potential solution saying this one is this route is shorter than distance d, uh, then I can check it um, by adding up all the distances. And that's quite an easy thing to do. So even though for, the, for that version of the traveling salesman problem, we still don't know of an efficient algorithm to actually solve the problem, once we have a suggested solution, there is a polynomial time algorithm, so that's an efficient algorithm to check whether that solution is correct. And problems with that property there in the, uh, this class called NP. So we have, we, can, we can't solve the traveling salesman problem on its own, but we can check a route is below some certain boundaries. Yes, and there are actually, there are loads of problems for, the, for which this is the case that you don't know how to solve it from scratch efficiently, but once somebody gives you a solution, a potential solution if you can't check it. So um, what other sorts of problems are those? Um, so for example, oh yes, I mean there's a very obvious one, which is the um, factoring of numbers, okay? So if I give you, well, if I give you a small number like 12, um, it's relatively easy for you to figure out what its factors are there, two, three, and four, and six. Mm -hmm. um, but if I give you a larger number, such as 2,569, um, actually finding... I cannot tell you what no, the factors of we can't. We would have to Google it, so we can't even do that now. But that's really hard. And um, again, like, as the number goes bigger, larger, the algorithm... Um, so there are obviously algorithms that will find you the factors, but um, it's like with a traveling salesperson, that, like, they, they, the length, the time the algorithms take just explodes as the number gets bigger. But alternatively, if you gave me... I think these are the factors of 12 or the factors of 2,569. I could easily check if they do multiply together yeah. to 2,569. So easy to check, hard to solve. Exactly. That's the whole thing. And now a big problem in mathematics that nobody knows the answer to yet is there is a chance that this P class, which are the easy to solve problems, and the NP class, which are hard to solve but easy to check and answer, they may actually be equal, which means... So basically, maybe the NP problems aren't as hard as everybody thought, and there are efficient algorithms to crack them. And there's even ways in which if you can solve one of the problems in the class, you could actually it, you get this avalanche and you'd be able to solve loads of problems in the class. That's why if someone could prove P equals NP, then lots of problems that are currently unsolvable could be solved easily, such as factoring numbers, which would then crack loads of cryptography that we use for, say, online shopping. Yeah, because that's the thing, because that example of factoring numbers, the fact that this, these problems are so hard when the number is large is used as a, in cryptography, a bit like a padlock, you know, like 
it's used to encode messages that are then ha hard to decode because it's so hard to factor numbers. But if somebody found an efficient way, if P equals NP and somebody has an efficient way of solving these problems, then all our crit cryptographic systems are out of the window, which is why this makes it a good topic for a movie. So that's a good time to go to our interview um, with the wonderful Timothy Lanzone, who flew over for the UK premiere that we hosted here at the Centre for Mathematical Sciences of his film, Travelling Salesman. Timothy is the writer and director of the movie, and we started off asking him what made him make a film about a mathematical problem. The, the short story is uh, my brother's a computer scientist, mathematician, and introduced me to the concept of, of, of P versus NP. The longer story is when I wanted to make a movie, and I knew I had to limit it and confine it, um, and so I wanted to tell a dramatic story in one room which was a big challenge. Uh, you know, 12 Angry Men is one of my favorite films, and it was kind of like a, a early starting influence, saying, I don't have any money, I don't have a ton of time to shoot this, how do I tell a really interesting story that's going to keep people's attention, and most of it take place in one room so I can actually make this happen? So, I, so that was kind of a, 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 an initial thought, was what if these guys create something that is just, you know, groundbreaking, that just, you know, the world stops and changes from that point on? What I initially wrote was uh, a script about uh, if, if these guys factored the prime number and, and the implications of that. And a lot of them, a lot of the implications that we see in traveling salesmen now were, were similar, at least in my non-mathematical mind. A lot of the uh, implications and consequences uh, in cryptography and, and public encryption were, were, were the same. When I sent it to my brother, when I sent the script to my brother and said, hey, who's a computer scientist, what, what do you think of this? He said, this is great. But why don't we take a look at this idea of P versus NP? And that's when he kind of opened my eyes to the whole concept. And I said, "Wow, that's a really interesting fit." So we kind of, it kind of, I kind of found P versus NP. We kind of fell into each other, um, and then we, we from there we kind of tweaked and restructured to to kind of fit into that world. Um, and and then before we knew, it, we we had what we considered a pretty dramatic and interesting story taking place in one room that we were able to shoot and and, and kind of able to get our heads around um, and get it done. So. I, re I really liked um, the fact that, you know, there's, there's mathematical detail in the movie. A character kind of demonstrates the problem using a pack of cards and a magic right. trick. Um, and at another point in the movie, you have uh, one of the mathematicians talking about sand and desert, and then suddenly this sort of metaphor comes to mind that helps right. him solve the problem. I mean, where did you get those sorts of insights. Did you talk to mathematicians about how they explain the problem, how they tackle research? Yeah, a little bit. Um, uh, my brother talked to a lot of his friends in, in, the, in the field, and we kind of wanted to uh, come up with a simple construct for kind of explaining the, a very complex problem. We, we wanted the movie to feel realistic for mathematicians, but we also... Uh, wanted it to be accessible to the film community, you know, so, so the fine line is, you know, it's a very fine line that we had to walk. So yeah, so the idea behind just kind of coming up with some simple constructs, I thought from the start was kind of essential for us to, to quickly and easily kind of explain the implications of the problem, 
just showing something quick and, and in some cases visually you know visually showing it um, and, and kind of putting in the you know slide into the script so it felt seamless as opposed to forced in there like oh we have to explain what this is so let's cut to a little scene about it. we want to kind of make it feel you know seamless and part you know natural and part of the conversation that flows in the film so and to be honest those were those were scenes that uh, it took us a while to kind of get down because we we had initially written some more complicated and maybe I should say convoluted explanations or just kind of quick uh, constructs for that and it just wasn't working so we, we you know we, we fell into the car trick idea um, and I forget the genesis of that but uh, we felt that it was just quick it was easy it was visual uh, for for non you know for non mathematical audience members they'll, they'll quickly grasp you know the, the concept behind it yeah, in a movie like this, we, and we move quickly, and we don't pay too many punches. You know, we everything is hard hitting and moving fast, so that the you know if, if someone is not involved and an audience member does not understand what's happening, which we, was a big concern of ours. You know, they'll be lost and just completely with you know they'll withdraw from the film and not care about it at all. So we wanted to get that. We wanted to pay those things off early and and make sure everybody really gets what the power of the, of, of the solution is. I think um, I was talking to a friend about it, saying, because you know I'd done a bit of reading and I knew a little bit about the problem. I was thinking, I wonder if it would be a bit intimidating. But then I was talking to a friend. She said, "Well, you love watching medical dramas, and there's a constant stream of things you don't understand right. in there." So, um, yeah. So, it, but uh, it'd be interesting to hear from people who who maybe haven't got that background and see what they. Um, yes. Let get out of it. Yeah, it's been. We've had some feedback, and, and it's always been positive. But a lot of times, the feedback has been they uh, they just believe the actors and, and the story because they got nothing else to do. So they just kind of buy into it and they just go for the ride. So, which is you know, in some ways, it's good because it means they're believing the performances and they're just kind of into the story. Which we we, we were like, all right, well, if that's the way it is. We'll, we'll take that. Um, so yeah. The the other thing I really liked is um, mathematicians. It's rare to see a mathematician in a movie anyway. But if you do, they're almost always crazy. And, or they're incredibly eccentric. So it was really nice to see these four characters who were um, uh, normal and three-dimensional and kind of flawed as well. Right. Um, and I was wondering, when you approached writing characters for, that were mathematicians, did you have something in your mind that you had to think differently? Or were they just another character similar to any other character? That's a good question. I je- one of the things when people, I do a little screenwriting teaching, and one of the things that people always ask, like, how do you come up with your characters, or how do you write dialogue for your individual characters? And one thing I always say is that every character is a little bit you. So you, I always write characters from kind of my perspective, and, and knowing that, you know, kind of a maybe a background story or kind of who they are a little bit, I kind of write how I would say what they're saying, you know, given the kind of certain parameters that I, you know, I constructed for them. So you know, and I knew my you know my brother's a math or computer scientist, mathematician. So I knew a lot of his friends. So and they were all really funny, normal people. So it's funny you write the stereotype is often uh, that they're crazy eccentrics with crazy hair and you know, you know, shrieking Eureka or something ridiculous. So it's it, yeah, it, and I wanted the film to just not feel cliched. Like I always try to if I can anything I write try to avoid like the cliche territory so you know these these are just kind of for you know they're not normal because of you know their intelligence their you know their high level intelligence but they're you know they're, they're four people who've just done this incredible thing and they're they're normal in a sense that they have to kind of now 
figure out what to do with this. And it's it's you know this is beyond kind of their realm of of what they're what they're experts at. So, um, but yeah, making them just feel real and and, and not cliched uh, caricatures was like essential just especially in a, in, a, in a room a small room that we can find our guys to if somebody's really annoying or somebody you just don't you know it's you can't get a, you know you can't get around it the story will just stop every time they're on camera so we you kind of want everybody to be you put it in a good way but you know somewhat likable but you know flawed in the same way and and uh you know hopefully on some level we, we got to that point so um, the other thing I thought that was interesting is so they're sort of debating the ethical consequences of their um of their discovery and I I thought what was really interesting is you both had the sort of ethical consequences that you'd think of you know it being used for evil or it being used for good but no one can use it for good because it's secret mm-hmm. um, because their work is classified mm-hmm. um, I thought it was really interesting that you brought in this point one of the characters concern it kind of almost ignores that and instead his thing is a kind of intellectual integrity sort of argument and that it's not so much a good or evil question but just that you can't you can't hold back a fundamental piece of knowledge from the world and I thought that was really interesting I mean was that was that some idea you had from the beginning or was that something that happened as you were writing I think or? that that developed I, I I when I'm writing the scripts I generally have kind of a a very vague roadmap. it's not specific so kind of the the uh, the way it flows, which I like, is is very uh, natural and and so it's it's that that plot point just felt right for the character to kind of really make a stand. I, I knew he was going to kind of be the at the end of the film. I wanted everybody against him, and he was going to be on an island. So you know, he got to a point throughout the film. He slowly starts differentiating himself from the other characters. Um, so you know, I, I knew I wanted to get to a point where he was—he he seems to want to be doing it for a, a more righteous reason, um, and and I liked him on that island, and then kind of juxtaposed with how we see the film finishing, um, it, it is my, maybe an interesting kind of combination of who, who's right, who's wrong here. Is this you know I, you know I, who's to say really? It was nice to have this um, portrayal and I think accurate portrayal of mathematics as being really fundamental to technology and the way we live and medical advancement. Is that sort of something that that you thought before you did this work, you know, researching the film? Or? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I was saying to you earlier, I've, I've always been back, uh, just amazed when, you know, just at, at these kind of amazing discoveries that mathematicians or scientists make, you know, the ones that kind of change things for, you know, the better for some cases... Um, you can make, you know, for the worse, as we talk a little bit about in the film. So it was always, it's all, I've always just been fascinated by that idea that somebody could, you know, somebody's brain is this powerful, it's, it's, it can just do that. Yeah, the, the idea that these, you know, that these guys could just change the world and, and just, it was always, I just loved that idea. I felt it was, it was like a, and just that the moment that they realized they've done it and what to do with it is, it's like a moment in time, a little snapshot that I've always one know it was, you know, after Einstein did something, you know, it's like the next day, what is he? Well, I just did that, and, you know, everybody's agreeing with me, and I just, what do I do now? It's, I just, you know, I'll never be in that situation, but it's just fascinating to me, like, that these guys, and it's something so powerful that they're now struggling with, with wow, we just did it, you know, almost like a whoops, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, congratulations, but whoops, look yeah. what we've done. So, I do, I think it's interesting as well that it's, um, this isn't a fictional situation. I was talking to um, John Barrow, and he was saying that there's people here whose work is classified. 
you know, that when they put in their research assessment exercises, certain review panels can't read them because they don't have right. the classification. So it's interesting. This isn't a fictional scenario. This is real that people yeah. do do this research. My, my, my brother, when he, after grad school, he worked at uh, Sandia National Labs in Albuquerque, New Mexico, which is one of you know the government-run labs where everything you worked on was classified. So you kind of, you know, down to the detailing of the documents that we had, it was all accurate. Um, so he was he was like very involved with with classified projects, and um, he did a lot of cryptography. I don't. He wasn't really allowed to tell us what more he did, but yeah, does it's, he, it's. Does he have any letters from the president thanking him? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Actually, if he did, he probably locked him away somewhere. It's definitely very real and, and happens at a lot of academic institutions. These, you know, people are working on some interesting things that people want to keep secret. So it's funny, you know, we, it's a lot, it's you know quite obvious that if someone's doing um, a med- medical degree, they need to you know take a course in ethics, or if they're mm-hmm. doing anything that you know a lot of technology degrees. Right. But you just don't think a mathematics degree should have an ethics, ethics component. Yeah. But maybe maybe <laughs> you should. I don't know. That's a very good point. That's yeah, very <laughs> and business. You have to take ethics, and yeah. you're going to get your MBA. Sure. Um, yeah. I so mean, they have a lot of power. I mean, it, what, this, what these what is being innovated um, at a lot of these schools is you know can be powerful. So it's a uh, funny point. And given that um, the building we're sitting in, um, Centre for Mathematical Sciences in Cambridge, houses the Rasball Professor of Mathematics <laughs> here, Tim Gowers, who one of your characters holds that position. I mean, is it strange to be yeah. here in this it's, place? And... It is. It is surreal. Um, yeah, it's. It, I think surreal is the perfect word. Yeah, it's. It's one of those ones when you're sitting in your little room. You know, I, I think I started writing the script back in 2009, so it's been you know three, four years now. Um, to you know, kind of be here is is very surreal, very cool. So it's uh, it's a lot of fun. It's really really cool. So that was Timothy Lanzone talking to us back in 2012, just before the UK premiere of his movie Traveling Salesman here at the Centre for Mathematical Sciences in Cambridge. And if you'd like to find out more about any of the topics talked about, go to plus.nuts.org and search for Traveling Salesman or search for P versus NP or search for Cryptography. We'll put links in the episode notes as well. Thanks for listening and bye for now. Bye.